Are we ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Hey, I'm Ellie. And I'm Heidi. And we are the Moms Moms in in the the middle. Middle. Two Midwest moms talking about the nuances of pregnancy, birth, and parenting in our modern world. There is so much perceived polarization between the different decisions we make in early parenthood. Home birth versus hospital birth formula versus breast milk, and sleep training versus co-sleeping. But most of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. From choosing the right provider for your birth to picking a preschool for your toddler, we are going to talk about how we weigh different opinions and follow our intuition to make the right choices for us. There's no right way to parent, and every family has different goals, values, and support. Let's meet in the middle and chat about it. Okay, got it. Welcome everybody to Moms in the Middle this week. We are so excited. We have, well, not the first guest. I guess Joe is our first guest, technically my husband. But I don't know if, to me, it doesn't feel like he counts because I just live with him all the time. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Our first guest. We're so excited. Um, we have Taylor in the house. Taylor, welcome. Thank you. I have been doing a lot of interviews for my podcast and I haven't been on as many other people's podcasts. So I'm super excited. Um, yeah, we're excited to have you. Well, thank you. I'm, I was really excited about the invite because this is something that I really, I've never actually got to really talk about before. Um, Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. So I'm Taylor. I have three little boys, a five-year-old, two two-year-olds, and it is pure chaos at my house pretty much all the time. And I am currently pregnant. How many weeks? I think 26, y'all. I can't remember ever. Um, <laughs> I feel like with each subsequent pregnancy, it gets harder to keep track. I'm like, when people ask me, I'm like, guys, I really have to check my calendar. Um, and it is twins again. So that was a big shock. And so that's what I'm excited to talk about today. I'm also, um, a doula and a prenatal coach and, um, am in the transition of moving my entire business online and pregnancy Mm -hmm. coaching through my, um, program, my signature program which is super exciting, but also daunting and scary. So yes. Yes. And so we were excited to have you on because we want to talk about twin pregnancy and all your options during twin pregnancy and twin birth and all that stuff. And I feel like you give such a well-rounded perspective because not only have you experienced it now twice, but you also are a doula. So you kind of know more about the options available to people and those experiences and how everybody approaches the experience differently or with a different mindset of going into twin pregnancy. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we wanted to have you on to chat about that and give our listeners a little yeah, bit. And obvious, obviously we have no experience yeah. with twin pregnancy or having twins. Knock, so on, just knock on wood them. guys, knock on wood. No right. experience. <laughs> <laughs> but just having an insight for our listeners of what, you know, resources and tips and all kinds of things that you've learned along the way, I think will be super cool for them. So yeah, I think let's start at the beginning of how of like, like, when you first found out you're having your first set of twins, what were your feelings? And then also, because I know, with your first twin pregnancy, you were plant, you know, you were planning a home birth or under home birth care. 
with your first set of twins. So how, what was your mind thinking and reeling and processing and what decisions were made or thought through when you first found out you had that first set of twins about how it was going to change things for you, for your pregnancy? Yeah. So I want to just give the caveat that like, I, so my twin pregnancy was my second pregnancy, babies two and three. My first pregnancy, I did like so much research and actually became a doula before I got pregnant with the twins. So I just want to caveat that. Like I had done a lot of research onto my options and actually planned a home, uh, birth center birth with my first, ended up transferring for post dates, which just means I went past 42 weeks. And so I had already kind of known in between that home birth was going to be my next, what I wanted next. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's not the choice for everyone. So I just want to put that out there. Like, I know that's a big step for a lot of moms, even with one baby. Yeah. So don't take what I'm saying think that, like, this is the right way. It's by no means the right way. It's just what's best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but my very first question. So I actually went in at nine weeks um, because I was not connecting with my pregnancy. It was during the pandemic, I didn't plan on getting pregnant that early. Um, Funny story, I had an um, energy session with an energy worker here, and she was telling me that I was making my decisions out of fear, and I just needed to let go of fear, and I knew that one of the decisions I was struggling to make was like when to have another baby, and I knew that I wanted one, but I didn't know... (laughs) if I could handle two kids, especially because my first son got sent home from daycare. And I was like, but wait, I'm trying to build a business. Like, what do you mean? How can I have more than one? So when I got pregnant after letting go of fear, I was like, oh, wow, that was quick. (laughs) And I wasn't connecting with it like I did with my first. And it was so weird to me because with my first, I felt very connected very quickly. And so I, when I went in to see her, she has a Doppler. And at that point they would probably try to find a heartbeat. I knew I was around nine weeks cause I knew exactly when it happened. And I knew that she had just recently got a tool called the butterfly and it's what some midwives carry. It's a little handheld ultrasound machine where they can see the, um, the image on their iPad or on their phone. It's not as high tech as the one you will get like your scans done, but it was something. So I was like, can we just pop that on? Like, I just feel like something is wrong. I don't know. And I think it was what was happening in the world at the time that was just making me like, want, want. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. I felt the same way. My second pregnancy during the pandemic, just like so detached and overwhelmed because everything was like doom and gloom and bad things happening. It was hard not to put that like on yourself. Yeah. And it was drastically different from how I felt with my first. So I was just like, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so when she offered to put that on, I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And I can just like see them or at the time, see it, see something. And she paused and she goes, um, Taylor, (laughs) And my mom's there and my mom can see it. And I'm laying there and I can see it. But I was totally like, no, I'm making that up. 
I knew. Like, I knew before she told me, but I didn't admit it to myself. And she's like, um, I think you're having twins. And this was at nine weeks. So very early on. And she's like, had we not put the butterfly on, there's no way we would have known. I would have found one heartbeat. We would have moved on. The second heartbeat, you probably wouldn't even have heard that early. Um, And my very first question, <laughs> once we like sat down was, well, what do I do now? Like, can I still have a baby with you? Like have babies with you? Like what, what does this look mm-hmm. like? And luckily in our state, so we're located in Kansas and Missouri, like we're right on the state line. We, um, so in Kansas and Missouri, midwives can attend legally twin birth, breech birth, VBAC birth. This is not the case in every state. Um, and she had been trained by a professional, um, a twin expert. She had not attended any herself though. So we very quickly added to my birth team. And I also added in collaborative care with a maternal fetal medicine specialist. So I started getting scans at around 17 weeks. And towards the end of my pregnancy, I was getting scans weekly, which I won't be doing this time. So I was happy to do it that time, but I won't be doing this time. Just for like, I guess all of our listeners to understand that. So MFM doctor, maternal fetal medicine is like a high, a high risk specialist. They were aware that you're having a home birth, but then there's also you're continuing care with them or were they assuming you were going to give birth with them and you're just also seeing a home birth midwife? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, in my case, they knew. Okay. The the midwife sent me there and they knew. Um, in some people's cases, though, I have heard of people having collaborative care where maybe neither provider knows that they have another mm-hmm. provider. Um, but my MFM was sending stuff to my okay. midwife. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, so that whole journey of, you know, you're seeing your midwife, you're seeing your MFM, and then... Just for long story cut cut short, kind of, you end up pursuing a home birth, but then ending up in a C-section for a transverse baby, correct? Yeah, and you can tell a little bit of that story if you want to. I know it's a long one. Yeah, so when MFMs or when any ultrasound tech is discussing like a baby A versus a baby B, you guys hear those terms, they might assign an A and a B to one particular baby and that will stay the same the entire time so that they can monitor growth from a midwife's perspective baby a is always the baby that's closest to the cervix that will be born first so that can change because babies do change spots sometimes um but my baby a was in a breech semi-transverse position so his head was up by my right ribs his back kind of looped down and then his butt was down by my left hip and his legs were scrunched over there as opposed to his butt being directly over my cervix. So that's why they kept classifying him as transverse as opposed to breech because his butt was a little bit sideways. Um, And he was like that for pretty much the entire third trimester. And I did a lot of body work, a lot of chiropractic, some different modalities um, like to get him to just center. All I wanted was for him to center. I had full intentions of having a breach delivery because 
I did not expect him to flip with another baby in the way. His brother, on the other hand, flipped weekly. He was like a little psycho in there. <laughs> and so um, finally he did go breach at around 37-ish, 38-ish maybe. Um, I had actually looped in another OB at a hospital who can perform vaginal breach birth if he um, – it's kind of weird and wonky how our laws and policies work, but looped him in and he was breached for a few weeks. I did go to 41 and five with my twins. So this was like a month long span where he was breached. We were good. We were just kind of on and off trying to start labor and then not, and growth scans were good. Um, and I had been checked I want to say it was a Sunday, so it was like right at 41 weeks, and my midwife said I was about a five, and his butt was fully engaged. She could fully feel his butt, so we were set and ready for a proper positioned breech delivery, and the week went by, long story short, on Friday, my water broke on Thursday, Friday, he was no longer in that position. She checked me five days later. I was about a four. My cervix was going higher and closing and his butt was off to the side. She's like, I feel a leg or a back or a hip or something. It's not a butt. And so at that point, I made the choice to transfer for a cesarean to decrease the risk of um, cord prolapse. And I also did not have a contraction pattern. So I didn't want to force a contraction pattern on a baby that wasn't even <laughs> like a sideways baby. So that was why I made that. Yeah. So I was just going to say, so obviously you were pretty well informed just with your background and all of that, but what was the conversation like with your midwife? Like, I know you made that decision obviously, but what was the discussion with her? Was she like, okay, where, you know, we're transferring? Did she suggest other things, especially with you being so far past? Well, not far past, but yeah. you know, at your due date. It was a very, Taylor, I think it's time. <laughs> like, it, yeah. but again, we had been through a month, if not two weeks, because I was, I was 41 weeks and five days. So I, at 40 weeks, we tried to get labor started. We were trying to balance like really good biophysical profiles and really good growth scans with like, okay, maybe we should try to nudge labor along today with also let's let labor happen when it's going to happen. So we were kind of trying to balance all of these pieces mm -hmm. of the puzzle. And because my water broke spontaneously Thursday afternoon, and we had been doing everything to kind of from a home birth perspective, artificially get contractions going with herbs, with squatting, with breast pump, with stairs, with walking. Um, and I was just not maintaining a contraction pattern. That was part of it as well was like, okay, had I had a good contraction pattern going, maybe we get the body worker in here. We get him in a better position, but I also didn't have contractions. <laughs> happening on their own. They were happening with yeah, yeah. augmentation, um, but obviously we didn't have Pitocin um, as an option. So 
Right. Yeah. So what does that look like, you know, with the home birth midwife, you transfer for a C-section, what does that like continuing care look like with having the home birth midwives that you are also working with once you transfer postpartum, all of that stuff? In my case, it was fairly smooth because we had already established care with this other OB. The one who could do vaginal breech birth ended up performing the C-section. So we had, I had met him, which was nice. My midwife called him. She was not able to come with me because of COVID protocols, which sucked, but my husband was. Um, So now I think midwives probably would be allowed to go with you as an extra support person. Um, And then postpartum, once I got home, it was like business as usual from a postpartum care perspective, from a home birth perspective. So she takes care of me and baby for 12 weeks. Some midwives, it's six. Um, For her, it was 12. So she came and saw me. Normally, they would come back to your house at 24 hours. But because I was at the hospital, she came back at the 72-hour mark, the week mark, and then like 3, 6, 12, I want to say. Okay. So you still had all of your postpartum care then through the home birth midwife. So you didn't have to like leave your house a lot and stuff too. I didn't leave my house at all. Ever. Yeah. (laughs) That's really nice. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. So that, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say going into my next pregnancy, I knew like, even if for whatever reason I was going to have to have like a planned C-section, I was like, just for that postpartum care and not having to leave my house, I think I would hire a home birth midwife. Yeah. Especially with twins, like not having to drag them all, you know, get them all dressed and out of the house and you're feeding them and all that stuff. Well, I kind of want to touch briefly, because we want to get into this pregnancy too, briefly on what did that first year postpartum look like, or maybe even just the immediate postpartum period compared to your singleton, which I understand also the singleton, you didn't have like other kids to care for while caring for that baby too. But like, just if you have a few snippets or a few like tips of things that really like worked for you that you're going to utilize the second time around, um, I think everybody listening to us who might be having a twin pregnancy would enjoy hearing those things. Yeah, any sort of like strategies around sleep, feeding, partner support, whatever. Yeah, so we moved. So the babies were born in February. We moved to a new house the November prior um, because our house was just a little small house. And when we moved, we specifically bought a house where our mo- my mother-in-law could live in the basement. <laughs> and I know not everyone has that as an option um, to like move your mother-in-law in, but that was very strategic for help with the older child and help with the twins. My mom also lives like 15 minutes from me. So she cared for my oldest a lot. Um, And as far as, like, differences, I just think I was very, very well aware of the newborn stage is hard with one. So, of course, it's going to be hard with two. And so we just knew we had to set up support differently. And so I think we just gave more thought to who is bringing meals or making meals. We had a meal train with our first. We had one with our second. I would highly recommend that to anybody and everybody. Um, And I think just having 
people on deck, whether it's family, friends, or someone you're hiring, like a postpartum doula, to be able to come over just so you can like nap. Because even if you have the most perfect babies and the most perfect schedule, and this might sound daunting to the twin moms listening, but it's actually just take it as like an empowering, like it is going to be hard. So just prepare for the hard. And and this really goes for whether mm-hmm. you're having one baby or two, like your baby has to eat often, regardless of whether <laughs> you've got the best baby and the best schedule and the best latch and the best everything. Um, so for me, I was a very feed on demand kind of mom. I know I have a friend who has twins that she would always wake up her second baby when the first baby would wake up. Um, but one of my babies would sleep literally double the like length. So I was like, I'm absolutely not waking him up. There were nights where that backfired. And I was like, one would wake, one would sleep, one would wake, one would sleep. But to be able to have someone to call the next day and be like, hey, I had the worst night's sleep. Can you just come over for a few hours so I can take a nap? Or to say to my mother-in-law, like my mother-in-law was kind of there in the mornings like breakfast would get brought to me in bed for like the first month. Um, I wouldn't go downstairs. I wouldn't leave my room and go downstairs into the living room, probably till like mm-hmm. 11 or noon. <laughs> like we just hung out in bed. Um, I think that's I- a really good tip to make sure that your support is intentional, mm-hmm. you know? And I know that that's, that's a really good tip. Easier said than done for a lot of people. But I think that that is a crucial, crucial piece that like, if it's not someone, if you don't have family around, do you have friends around? Do you have a teenager you can hire to just like, you know, come sit with sleeping babies or sit with them? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that's so important too. I think in our culture with single babies, twin babies, everything we know as doulas, we get so focused on like the material things of like building the registry and, oh, we're having twins. We need two bassinets. We need two cribs. We need the nice double stroller. Instead, being intentional about asking for help, like, okay, all these people are going to be spending maybe $100 to bring me a gift at my shower. Instead, can they spend $100 towards my postpartum doula? towards meal gift cards like instead and I'm buying the stuff cheap on marketplace or asking for people to like use their stuff you know a lot of people will say you know well it's a very privileged perspective to have a doula to have a postpartum doula but I know a lot of us don't have a lot of extra money like sitting around everywhere and it's more so about trying to be super intentional about how we spend our money. Like I know most of my baby products were given to me or bought off Facebook marketplace, but then being intentional about how I spend my money to support myself during pregnancy and postpartum, because in reality, most of our, most of what our babies need is just us, especially if we're breastfeeding over the products and the perfect swing or the perfect stroller. What they usually need is like mainly just, us to be there of course they need a they need diapers they need to be fed they need a place to sleep whatever but that is like bare minimum I was just gonna say like people want to help yeah but then it's not always they don't know what to help with or they think holding the baby is what you need and it's like no no or they don't have the time to help so they spend money on your baby registry stuff and it's like instead can you spend money towards 
a postpartum doula, a birth doula, like building my village if you can't be my village yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. People are busy, mm -hmm. but they do potentially want to give you a gift. Mm -hmm. So let them put that money toward. I mean, I, oh, yes. I also, I, I did have on my registry, like money towards that type of stuff. And I did have um, a house cleaner come for the first three months. I know some people might already have one come. Mm -hmm. We don't. <laughs> and, but for that first three months postpartum, we did have one come, I think every other week. Um, and that was just so helpful. And I will say too, I'm also like, give me all the hand-me-downs. I, my baby's going to use this for two months. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, and we ended up using, we did have two swings and we did have two bouncers. So like my stuff did not match you guys. I didn't have like two matching things and we had one bassinet and one crib and people might have their thoughts about that, but my children shared a bed until they were almost two and by bed, I mean crib. And now they still like, we have mattresses on the floor and my three kids share and they all like rotate where they sleep. And one of mine prefers the floor. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think um, that that's like social media fuel too. Of you see the twin parents prepping for their twins with the matching cribs, the matching mamaroos, the perfect stroller. And it feels like you need that, you know, like when that's what you're seeing when you're on twin TikTok or twin Instagram, like the mindset of if we need the second one, we'll go find one, but let's just start with one and see mm -hmm. how they do. And when they grew out of the bassinet, we just moved them over into the crib, which was in our room to start. And they just happened to do fine. And so we were like, we'll just ride this out until it doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And it just never didn't work. So we're yeah. like, why would we get a second crib? <laughs> That kind of makes me wonder, like, were there any specific challenges that maybe you didn't expect, like unexpected challenges that you didn't have with your first being a singleton? So my first was a pretty needy, like clingy kid. And one of my twins was that way. <laughs> but one thing that I guess I didn't expect was like the jealousy between them. Like even my very easygoing not needy twin he would get needy if he saw me holding the other one and so that mm -hmm. got a little tough where I'm like okay I can't like do anything <laughs> I need more arms I need more arms exactly was it hard for your firstborn to go from only child to two needy babies or do you feel like since you had your mother-in-law your mom like giving him attention that it like smoothed the transition a little bit I think having grandmas helped a ton I don't think mm -hmm. it would have mattered to him whether it was one baby or two um he didn't know any difference he had never had a sibling before and I think so they were born at the end of February he ended up starting preschool in April. So he had grandma time and then he went back to preschool post pandemic. So he was also out of the house, which I highly also recommend. Like if you have older children and you are having twins, get help for the older child. And that was one thing a lot of people asked me was what's the hardest part of having twins? I said, having a three-year-old and twins. The twins are newborns. They yeah. sleep, they eat, they poop. They're easy. Like they're not easy, but they're easy. It's the three-year-old that's jumping around, needing mom, crawling all over them, wanting to, like, smother them. Like, that's what's yeah. hard. So, 
I guess let's get into second twin journey, which you're still in the middle of. So maybe we'll have to have you for a follow-up after everything, everything goes down. But um, I guess we'll start with the same questions of like this, like what was finding out you were having twins again? And then what are you doing differently this pregnancy? Oh, candidly, the first thought that went through your mind. Well, this, the pregnancy itself was a surprise. So when I first, okay. I peed on the stick because I had missed my period and I did not remember when my last period was. I knew it was sometime mid-April. I'd taken a trip early May and I used the diva cup for my period. And so I was like, oh, I don't need my diva cup because I'm not going to be on my period. So like I had that conscious thought of like, okay, I didn't bring my diva cup, but like, I'm pretty sure I should have a period by now. But the last two pregnancies had been pretty intentional, even though it happened sooner than we thought we knew. And this yeah. time I was like, bro, I thought we were pulling out. Like, what? Happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Neither one of us. Maybe my, um, maybe my, um, maybe my sister wouldn't want me to share this, but she had that experience. She just had her first baby and she called me in a panic. Hey, my period is 10 days late. But I feel like I'm getting my period. Like, I feel hormonal and crampy and stuff. So I'm sure I'm fine, right? Like, we had this accident. They were in Budapest. Like, we had this accident. We didn't, you know, use protection. There was miscommunication. But I'm sure I'm fine. I'm like, Jessica, that is exactly how you feel when you are pregnant. You feel like you're getting your period, but you just don't get it. Like, your boobs hurt. You're crampy. And she was like, she went and got a test positive. Now I have a beautiful little nephew, so it's perfect. But <laughs> well, we get caught up in the moment. So so sensitive to the women who struggle with infertility when I tell these types of stories. But I know that it's it's mm-hmm. it's the end of the spectrum of like, holy hell, this was not part of the plan. And so I peed on the stick and I handed it to my husband and I was like, just tell me what it says. Like you can find out first. And so he starts cracking up and I was like, okay. Is he laughing because we overreacted or is he laughing because it says what I'm pretty sure it says? And of course it did. So at that point I started crying because my first thought with the pregnancy was like, this happened too soon. I'm not ready for the fatigue. I'm literally in the process of like growing my business and I'm like, what the hell? And then it turned to excitement pretty quickly. And then when I went, I wasn't even going to worry to, I knew which midwife I was going to hire pretty quickly. She was the one who was on my team the last time. She was not my head midwife last time. And it was kind of just a vibe thing and kind of, I had had a couple births with my midwife from the last time and one of them was fairly traumatic. And so I think it was just like separating myself from anything and everything that was the last time in order for me to have like a totally different experience this time. Gosh, as a, as a doula, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I felt bad. Cause like if someone hired me for their first birth and not their second, I would feel weird, but I also would totally get it. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you have to just like make yeah, it. Change. It has nothing to do with you. It's just the experience, whatever you need, different vibes. I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And being in the birth space, I had, been in networking events with this other midwife and I just like felt called to hire her. Um, anyways, I wasn't even going to go in. I was like, I don't care. Like my babies go over anyways. Like 
I'll figure out when I'm due. Cause I had no idea. I was like, I could be three weeks. I could be eight weeks. Like I truly don't know. And so I finally was like, let me go in for an HCG test. And so I told my midwife and, um, she's like, well, you know, if there are two in there, it's gonna not be right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but there's not two in there. And I will say other first candid thoughts. And I did, um, a podcast episode on this was one of my very first thoughts was please don't let there be two in there. And then I very instantly, like, I think I got emotional saying it. And I think I instantly like broke down saying like, I can't think that because I might be wishing away a baby because there very could possibly be two in there. So it was a very contradictory, like hoping for one baby because I want, I was craving like postpartum with one and craving, like I had always thought we'd have four kids and craving not having to do the juggle of two again, but then simultaneously seeing these two beautiful boys in front of me, knowing the beauty of twins. And I'm like, it felt very contradictory in my brain, which was weird. And then when I went in, she again was like, well, do you want me to just pop on the butterfly? Because if you are further along, we'll see something. But if we don't see anything, are you going to be nervous? And I was like, I'm not going to be nervous. Like, I'm probably like four weeks. You're not going to see anything. Instantly, she saw two sacks. And but we couldn't see anything in the sack. So she angled the thing down a little bit. And clear as day, there's like two blobs. And I obviously knew what that meant. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, and by the way, you probably are at least seven weeks because otherwise I wouldn't see this. So I thought I was going in for like three week singleton. And she's like, no, you're actually a month further along and there's two. And I think my first candid thought was surprisingly enough, like not shocked. It was like, oh, well, yeah, of course there's two in there. Like, I think I just like... Because my husband and I would joke about it happening, but I never actually thought it would happen. And then when it did, I was kind of just like, oh, well, yeah, duh. Of course, yeah. of course there would be. <laughs> and then definitely talk. And then I think thinking through logistics, like my brain went very quickly to like, are we going to need a new car? And what does this look like? And I think also like, I don't want to get that big again. And I was pissed because I so desperately really do want this home birth. And I was like, this is just what felt like one more hurdle to getting the home birth. Cause what if my uterus is just weird and my babies can't Mm -hmm. get into a proper position because there's two in there like last time. So it was a lot of like, this is just going to make it. So many unknowns, I'm sure. Yeah. And space for our house. Cause my mother-in-law was living in the basement and then my sister-in-law moved in last February. I was very quickly, like, felt like the walls were closing in on me. Like they need to move out. And I felt bad cause I felt like I was kicking them to the curb, but I was also like, I need to nest. I need to move my office into that spare room. I need to move the crib back where my desk is. Yeah. We need the downstairs yeah. for the kids. Like, we don't have enough space <laughs> if y'all are here. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like car and house are the first two things that come to mind. Yeah. 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 
So I'd love to know then, which I know you touched on a little bit about that you aren't getting as many scans and stuff, but what are you doing differently or like planning on doing differently for pregnancy and birth, if anything? Um, the beginning half of the pregnancy, I don't feel like I'm doing much differently. Um, I got my anatomy scan already with this pregnancy and I got it with my last. And, um, last time I was not really wanting to find out the sexes of the babies, but my husband really did. And same with this time. So we went ahead and found out because we did not find out with my first son. Um. But I think the second half of the pregnancy is what's going to be the most different as far as I'm trying to remember exactly. I was going once a month, I want to say after 17 weeks to get growth scans. And this was more so to make sure that they were growing evenly. Um, But it is unlikely that they wouldn't being that they had their own sacs and their own placentas. Um, because that's another thing people should know is there are different types of twins. And if they do share a placenta, it is more likely that they could kind of steal nutrients from each other. Um, but mine did not share one. So it was less likely. Um, and it's okay for them to be different sizes as long as they're both growing on track with themselves, if that makes sense. Because it's essentially two separate pregnancies that just happen to be happening at the same time when they're both in their own sex like that. Um, and, and is that how your pregnancy is this time too? Their own sacs and placentas? Yeah. Yeah. Which is considered like the lowest risk, I guess. The um, I could yeah. see that. Um, and then, so I was having growth scans every month. And then I want to say at 36, I started going weekly for growth scans and biophysical profiles. So my babies were passing with the highest score, which is 10 out of 10. They can get eight on the growth scan and two points for the biophysical profile. And they were getting tens out of tens. Um, But I will say my last time, my MFM said that, or it might've been the tech, said at 38 weeks, at the 38 week scan, we recommend delivery. And to them, that meant C-section because nobody in our city, at least, and most places in the U.S. are going to induce you. They're just not. They're they're not going to give you Pitocin if you have a breech baby. They don't want you to have a vaginal breech birth to begin with. Um, And so I'm like, okay, so that basically means go get a C-section this week. So when I showed up at my appointment on 39 weeks, she said, um, wow, we're surprised to see you here because we recommended delivery. <laughs> and so I joked, I'm, and I don't think I said this to her, but I'm like, yeah, I recommended it to my unborn children too, but they didn't listen. Um, and so at that point I was seeing someone else for my scans. So this time around with my other midwife, she's like, I don't think you're going to need those. If you feel comfortable, maybe we'll do one at 32 Mm -hmm. weeks um, to assess positioning and things. Cause it is a little bit harder to tell and palpate where baby's at and and like kind of belly map when there's two in there. Um, And she's like, if you, my midwife's very open about like, if you want more, you can get more, 
but that's how many she feels comfortable with. And I'm like, okay, we'll just kind of play it by ear. My last pregnancy, I had two anterior placentas, which means they're in the front, which means it's kind of like your baby's punching through a pillow and you don't feel as much movement. And it was hard for me to tell which baby I was feeling move. So for me, getting the scans was actually peace of mind because it was hard for me to count kicks as far as like which baby was moving and which baby wasn't. And so this Mm -hmm. time around, yeah, that totally makes sense. They're a little more vertical and stacked. And one of my placentas is in the back. So I think it's easier for me to tell who's moving. Therefore, I feel more confident in not needing a scan to tell me that they're okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I plan on getting like maybe only one more if I need it, if I decide at that point. And one thing that I just want to say it just in case I don't say it before we end today is like twins in and of themselves don't make you high risk. And I know your doctor might tell you you are, but what happens is, and the same goes with advanced maternal age, the same goes with a lot of things. Like what it does is it increases your chance of acquiring some of these other things Mm -hmm. it increases the risk of other things happening but your pregnancy in and of itself is not actually more risky you just have a higher chance of encountering some of these problems when you're pregnant with twins you have a higher chance of getting gestational diabetes you have a higher chance (laughs) of hypertension you're not just like high risk But a lot of times that label is placed on you as a twin mom. And so I just want to throw that out there of like, if you don't take that identity on, you don't have to put yourself in that category. Mm -hmm. So to me, I'm just like, there's just two babies. (laughs) I feel like you've given some really good examples of, you know, informed decision making because. We know that with twin pregnancies, there's a lot of, you know, automatic Mm -hmm. of you're going to get all these scans, you're going to get all these extra tests and all of that, but there's not a lot of extra education for what those are, how needed they are, all of that. Like, um, and so, and talking about like, oh, and not, and just like you said in the beginning, this doesn't mean that this is the right path for everybody listening who has twin pregnancies, mm-hmm. but that there are other options other than the typical like MFM C-section at 38 weeks, like path in a twin pregnancy or an induction at 38 weeks. There is still the openness yeah. to make informed decisions for yourself and your babies, depending on the type of twin pregnancy, the position of babies, your health, like all those things, there's still room to like ask all those questions, just like we just do like, what questions can you ask your medical care providers? What options are available to you that you can ask them about and make those decisions? It doesn't have to be just a, oh, because you have twins, you have to follow this one path. Yeah, 100%, which is just like you said, it's the same, whether you have one baby in there or multiple, like you still have a lot of options. And Asking for actual risk is really, really important. And this is for the singleton moms as well, because they might say, well, you're, you're, you're an an increased risk or your risk goes up because there's two. Okay. But how much, 
And what does that mean? And what are the actual numbers? And for instance, induction at 38 weeks is very, very standard in our country for twin moms. And the reason for that is the, the risks associated with post dates um, for a singleton pregnancy that happen around that 42 week mark um, is what they're saying happens with twins at 38 weeks. So those same risks, but asking what are those risks? Yes, there's an increased risks of stillbirth, which is very, very scary. Don't get me wrong. But when something doubles or increases and it's going from 0.002 to 0.004 or whatever that number, like it's really important to know those actual numbers because that's still less than 1%. Are you okay with that? And if no, okay, get the induction. But if you're like, you know what, I actually am okay with less than 1% chance in order to avoid the risks of the induction itself, then that's a very, very valid evidence-based choice. So for me to go past, you know, 41 weeks, almost 42 weeks with twins, I got a lot of comments. (laughs) I can't believe your doctor let you go that long. And I'm like, first of all, my doctor doesn't let me do anything. I get to make those choices. And second of all, I joined a lot of um, Facebook groups for like birthing multiples naturally. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the big ones. Um, Most of those moms go past 40 weeks. Most of them. So this idea that twins come early is actually not true. It's that twins are induced. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. obviously, spontaneous labor does happen with twins, like early. Um, but that happens with singletons, too. So like, when we leave things a little bit less touched, it's not that uncommon. Yeah, we talk about that. We did an episode on induction, and we talk about actual risk versus relative risk, because and and not to not to say that going from, you know, increasing that risk is, you know, that might not be something that you're willing to take on even hearing the actual numbers. But when we talk about relative risk, it really can spur an emotional response instead of a thought out logical response of like, if you say you're in, you know, your risk for stillbirth increases 50% or 100% or whatever, at this point, that is like an emotional reaction. And it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm endangering my baby. My risk of stillbirth is skyrocketing. But when you look at the actual numbers, you can look at it a little bit more logically and say, is this a risk I'm willing to take on or not take on versus, you know, versus kind of that emotional reaction to the relative risk analysis and how they're presented. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I did with my first pregnancy at 42 weeks risking out of the birth center, I very easily, I potentially could have had other choices. Um, Looking back, I don't know exactly what those would have been. I've thought about it a lot. But I wasn't okay with that risk at that time. And I don't even know if I knew the actual risk. I just knew, oh my gosh, my risks of stillbirth are increasing. And I was scared as a first time. So I don't want people to think either that like, as doulas, we're exempt from these fears. Like we have them too. We're human. We're moms too. And when I'm in the mom boat, I make decisions differently than when I'm on the doula side. Like it's, it's not the same. when, When it's your baby, like you have to think about things differently and but even with like the risk of cord prolapse for instance like having a twin or a breech birth 
whether it's twins or not, that's a risk associated with breach. I was okay with my risks until my baby was in a not proper breach position. Then I was no longer okay Mm -hmm. with that risk. So I think the biggest, biggest thing, and I would say this to singleton moms as well, is like you have to get really, really, really good at trusting yourself and your intuition. This is a huge, huge piece that is missing because we are giving our trust away unintentionally a lot of times Mm -hmm. and we don't even know we're doing it. And when you can trust yourself so much to be like, no, I feel like my babies are fine. (laughs) Like I, like, I just know that they're okay. I'm okay moving forward with this. Um, Had I in my last Mm -hmm. pregnancy, my babies were not passing their biophysical profiles. You know, they weren't giving their punches and their kicks and their practice breaths. And my blood pressure was out of control. And those would have changed my decisions. But because they were fine and I was fine, I stayed pregnant. Had I had high blood pressure or had my babies had like fetal distress at a, at a scan, I probably would have had a C-section at 39 weeks. Like you make decisions on the circumstances that you're in and the data you have at your hand. And so, and that is something that we talk a lot about is so lacking in our modern world. There's so much disconnect now um, between people and their intuition. They want to look only at the data and not check, take the data and then check in with themselves. There's like such that disconnect between what, how does this make me feel? You know? I think there's so much talk about evidence-based discussions, decisions, Uh all of that, which is good. Like we need that too, (laughs) but there is still so much of it that Mm -hmm. is just left up to what and I, you yeah. feel is right for you and your baby and your family, you know, and, and a lot of things cannot be made just by looking at a piece of paper. I will say this to my clients all the time. Like, uh, you know, now I've been in this world for a long time. I've seen two great doctors who I love and respect make completely different decisions given the same circumstances. And I just had two clients who were both one centimeter and 90% of face. And you know what? They got induced and their OBs had a completely different plan of care for how to induce them, you know, back to back. And so it's not that one way is there's so much gray area in pregnancy and birth world that, you know, you can be given the same exact situation and make different decisions based on what your intuition and what your gut's telling you that are both safe decisions. Um, I, I think so many people just say like, oh, my doctor said this, so that's what I'm going to do instead of asking about their other options and don't realize that there's so many other reasonable options that they might feel more comfortable with a different option might feel more intuitively right to them than the other option. And they're both okay options. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense yeah. to me. It makes sense to me. Yeah, I feel like those mm-hmm. singleton versus twin pregnancies, when it's a twin pregnancy, you aren't given as many options. Yeah, you know, from your providers all the time as maybe you would be with a singleton because there is that high risk yeah. stigma that automatically comes with a twin pregnancy, even though it's it's not necessarily true like we've discussed. Yeah, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I even was more inclined to go an out of the hospital route 
was because it would have felt like an uphill battle. Um, Mm -hmm. Am I scared to have twins without any access to pain meds? Yeah, I'll be honest. I am. Am I going to have to do a lot of work in the second half of my pregnancy to get over that? Yeah, I am. (laughs) But not having to constantly feel like I'm advocating for every single little choice that I want and feel like I've got that label on me because with my home birth midwife, there's no label. There's no stigma. She's just like, you're normal. You look good. I trust you. Like that's such a different experience. You know, it's just a feeling in the room that you need to be managed, that you are a problem that we're trying to mitigate versus you're just here and I'm just here with you. <laughs> um, and I love what you said about like, cause I, I'm pretty sure um, on evidence-based birth, she does talk about like the three pegs. Right. And like one of the pegs is like running it through your own filter. Like that's part of like patient choice or something mm-hmm. is like part of evidence-based choices. Cause yes, there's evidence, but mm-hmm. I always tell my clients like, we get information from two places, from evidence and from our intuition. And both are just as valid because also sometimes evidence is, I mean, some studies just aren't done very well or like, like, or like there's just, there's just not a lot of money in maternal health and studies. And so like, yeah, we have very few studies and stuff that we base a lot of decisions off of like these few small studies. Yeah. Or it's not, it's not ethical to do mm-hmm. some of these studies. I mean, we know very little about a lot of this stuff because we can't just mm-hmm. like run blind placebo studies on mm-hmm. pregnant women. We just, we don't do it. So it is really important. And it's really important for moms to know that like their maternal instincts are going to kick in. And I know that like that does take work. It really does. Because you are going through something new, and anytime you're going through something new, there's fear involved. We are all scared of the unknown. Our brains are designed that way. Like, it's nothing wrong with you. Like, it's literally your brain's job to keep you safe. And when something is unknown, our brain tries to keep us away from it. So the more you can know, the less that's obviously unknown, therefore the less scared you can be and the more you can trust yourself in making some of these decisions. Um, and I always just say like, when a, when a doctor tells you something, if it doesn't feel like an option, just know that it always is. If it's like, okay, at your next appointment, we're going to do this or okay, we're going to go ahead and get your induction scheduled for 38 weeks because you're pregnant with twins. Just because it's presented that way doesn't mean you don't have options. You always, always do. And you can always ask questions. And if you start to dig and you start to ask the why questions and you're either not getting a good answer, your doctor's talking in circles, or you just don't feel good about it, you've got that pit in your stomach, your palms are sweaty, your heart Mm -hmm. is racing, like that's your body telling you this isn't right. This is not the decision Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. And I say this about actually a lot of times what people hear on social media, because I have a lot of clients who hear really things that scare them on social media, but it's like, let's listen to people who don't make us make decisions out of fear. We want to make decisions from power. 
when you decided to get a C-section with your babies, it's like, you're not making that decision because you're scared of what's going to happen. But like this powerful decision of like, I feel empowered to make the best decision, knowing the information I have for me and my babies to decide to move forward with this C-section, you know, like that's where you want to be making decisions from. I know all the options I've, I've gotten my questions answered. And now I feel like I'm in the I'm in the driver's seat, which is a huge thing. I know you talk about all the time, drivers, you know, being in the driver's seat of your birth. I'm in the driver's seat to make this decision out of power instead of if providers are making you feel just fearful. And so you're making these big decisions because you just feel scared of what will happen if you don't make that decision. Mm-hmm. That is like not the people we should be listening to. The people yeah. who we should be like taking advice from are people, maybe we'll make the same decision, but they're empowering us to make that decision, not making us feel scared. So we have to make that decision. Out of my client pool that I've had so far, I've had three C-sections, I think. Yeah, three. And my own experience with C-section. And I can say for all of them that their decision was extremely autonomous. Like it was an empowered, autonomous decision for them. And they were all very different. One of the moms had coleostasis and had a C-section at 38 weeks. One of the moms had a very long, hard labor and it was her first baby. And she opted for a C-section at the end. And then my other one, there was talk of big baby and her husband was big and she was big and she ended up opting for the C-section and don't get me wrong. Like her and I talked about all of the things and like, this is your first baby. How big do you want your family? Do you understand the risks and benefits? Your doctor's not telling you to do this. She's like, Nope, I Mm -hmm. asked for it. I'm very type A. I'm a planner. I thought it through. I thought about how I was going to feel in a month and if I was going to regret my decision and she's like, Nope, this is the decision for me. And I'm like, more power to you. Let's have an amazing C-section. Like, and so Mm -hmm. it really is about, did you make that decision or did a provider make it for you? And you felt kind of like obligated to go along with it because it truly does make the difference. It's not about what you choose. And I know that you guys talk about that so much, like, especially supporting moms that do choose more interventions and things like, it's not about that. It's not, I was with a birth on Monday night and she's like, man, I, um, (laughs) she got to the hospital and got the epidural pretty quickly. And she's like, man, I wimped out so quick, like, or something like that. I'm like, no girl, you utilized a tool. You got you're here you know the risks and benefits we talked about it you're utilizing a tool like there's no shame and it's just I I think too and I know this is something especially with you guys being like moms in the middle of like you know very very medicalized ideal ideology and then like very very like crunchy natural ideology but there's really a way that they can both be right and what's right for the mom and what's right for her and her decision and her baby and her body. And, and like I said, I Mm -hmm. feel very fortunate to be able to make the choices that I'm making because of the state Mm -hmm. that I live in and my own personal health Mm -hmm. and the health of my babies. But I would be making different choices if my babies weren't tolerating pregnancy well, or I wasn't tolerating pregnancy well, or, you know, okay, what would I do if I lived in a state where home birth wasn't an option? What would I be looking at? Like, there's all these different factors. But regardless of what those factors are, like, 
it is truly in your court. It is truly your choice. Because even if you're presented with a circumstance that is not what you wanted, you still get to make the next mm-hmm. best decision. Always. 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you still so much, Taylor, for joining us. And hopefully once you get out of the fog of your second postpartum, we can maybe have you on for part two. I think this episode has been so empowering and so amazing for any listeners that are expecting twins or even singleton pregnancies, but twins even more so because it can be scary. The unknown is... Yeah, yeah. I think it was very well run and I appreciate it. And go ahead before we leave, plug away as to where people can follow you and what you're up to and everything. Yeah, I hang out on Instagram the most. So if you follow Heidi, you can find me through her. I'm Taylor Nosakara. It's a long last name, but it's N-O-S-A-K-H-E-R-E. And I have my signature program. My information is there about that. Um, Mm -hmm. But you can binge my stuff there. And, um, I have a podcast too, which is driver's seat moms. And yeah, I just love talking about all the things, you know, similar to like what you guys talk about and just being in the driver's seat of your life <laughs> and your motherhood experience and your birth and all of it. So come and find me. And if you are a twin mom, feel free to reach out because it is a lot. It can be a lot of emotional roller coasters. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. 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 Well, we appreciate your perspective so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Moms in the Middle. If you like this episode, make sure to leave us a review and hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts in order to receive notifications on new episodes. If you want to follow us on social media, check out our show notes for links to our profiles. Have a great week and we'll catch you in the middle next time.